Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Casper Salmon. On the show this week, the Despicable Me franchise's fifth entry depicts the rise of Gru. There's something very wrong with Martin in Nitrum, and on Film Club, it's every parent's worst nightmare in Gus Van Zandt's Elephant. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, so David, excited to be talking to you just after the new issue is out. 50th anniversary of Pink Flamingos. The secret is finally out there. It's a <laughs> gorgeous cover, I've got to say. Are you happy with the new issue? Yeah, very happy, very happy. It's always uh, a pleasure to be able to rep for one of the uh, the great masterpieces of modern art cinema. Um, and, and and I say that with a, a hint of seriousness. Um, but yeah, no, it's it it was a pro- it was a real like eureka moment when I was kind of looking for things to possible kind of options for the cover for this issue. And I I, I it's a kind of anniversary. I I'm not sure that many people were kind of aware of um and it's quite it's quite sort of shock if it, for those who know the film it's quite a shocking one as well to think that it's 50 year 50 years old now um and still has the power to shock and um yeah it's it's a film uh from 72 uh, by john waters and it's ne- yeah it's never really um been properly distributed in the uk because of censorship here um it's 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 a weird situation where it's like that the bits of it have passed at various times, but never there's never been a point when the when all the material in the film has been passed at, at at one time. So it's taken fifty years for that to happen, and it's finally coming out, and it's going to be screening in the UK now. And uh, yeah, we've got a whole issue kind of dedicated to sort of celebrating that kind of trash trash masterpiece. Um, yeah, it's out on shelves now, and subscribers can pick it up and. It's on, yeah, for via our website and any reputable source of printed matter. So yes, wow, and yeah, if the world needs anything. It, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it, it's amazing how it hasn't lost its kind of shock value all of this uh, time later, and how John Waters is still just such a compelling interviewee. Um, he's it's one of those things that there's just like an insatiable appetite for all of his wonderful anecdotes. But um, speaking of people with wonderful anecdotes, Casper, it's really exciting to have you on the podcast. So um, as it's been, um, as it's your first time with me, um, could we do kind of that big existential question of uh, who are you? Uh, oish, um I'm a film journalist. I'm living in London. Uh, gosh, I'm interested in 
I suppose French cinema was where I first started. Um, I acted a little bit when I was younger, and and that kind of gave me my my appetite for for French film, and kind of stuck with that French and art house cinema. And I was a, a can nut when I was when I was a child, like a, a strange child, reading about who had won the Palme d'Or in nineteen seventy two or whatever it might be. Um, and I kind of stuck at it a little bit, but mostly as a punter. I never really wrote about cinema until, you know, professionally, until I was 109 years old. And then, uh, so that kind of kept me fresh, I think, you know, still enjoying still enjoying the movies. Um, and now I, I do write about film. Uh, and um, I've just sort of branched into into kids, kids stuff a little bit in the last year. Just wrote my first picture book, because uh, I have two children, two lovely children. So um, I'm kind of doing that a bit now, which is which is a weird one. So yeah, hoping to conjugate those two interests today and talking about uh, Minions to the Rise of Gru. Well, my children also have very much enjoyed your picture book, How to Count to One. Um, also available at many reputable and disreputable places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, we've got a bit of a parents pod today. We've all um, got kids. I, th- I think we're all very familiar with... Um, the sort of giant movie franchises of children's cinema like Minions. But um, I'm wondering if there are any like particularly special films that you've really enjoyed introducing your children to? Uh, for me, I've, I've um, <clears throat> actually blessedly managed to avoid some of the worst of children's cinema over the last kind of five or six years. Um, because of my parenting setup, you know, I'm in a queer parenting kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, queer parenting group. And I have, my children have two mothers and I see my kids uh, one day a week and every three weekends. So I, I tend to be able to sort of skirt around the very worst of the films that are on offer and um, and manage to get to impose my own tastes a little bit because I just have lot, a lot less time with them. But what I have been doing is trying to um, impose my film tastes on the kids a little bit. And I've been taking them to see uh, a few things at the Barbican. They do a kids, a kids cinema club sometimes on a Saturday. Um, and I took took the kids to see uh, Harold Lloyd in Safety Last a couple of weeks ago, um, and they really loved it. And actually, I was thinking about Safety Last when watching Minions because it's such a slow film, and you've really got to keep at it. Um, and it's kind of the opposite of Minions, which is so frantic. Um, and it was amazing to see that my kids t- took a little bit of time getting into it, but they actually could kind of reset their inner inner clocks, their attention span a little bit to watch something that, you know, built up over time. There's even a reference to Safety Last in Minions. Isn't yes, it? yes, exactly. So. <laughs> David, what about you? Are you uh, kind of Paw Patrol, the movie person, or, or are you taking them off to see, you know, Ponyo and, and My Neighbour Totoro? Um, I, I think from, from I, I do tend, I do take, take my daughter to kind of whatever the latest slightly more mainstream kids offering is at the cinema um just because she she does she's got to an age now where she's noticing the the sort of sides of buses and phone box ads and pointing to them saying what's that i I need to to be involved in that and uh you know we've 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 been to see you know like some, some sort of pretty mediocre stuff like the bad guys and clifford the big red dog um uh but but there's been there's been some good stuff like um uh i i think uh, like uh, i'm i'm really glad that her favorite film 
is is my neighbor Totoro, um, which I kind of like. Um, when she was sort of at that age where she wasn't able to navigate the Netflix, which she is able to do now, I was kind of putting that on as a kind of like you know force feeding thing. Like this is this is what you this is what you're having for dinner. Eat it, or or there's nothing else. Um, so yeah, my neighbor Totoro is 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 big, and I've probably watched it in the last kind of year and a half. I've probably watched it over like thirty times, and it's 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 still good. I'm still like I'm still at a point where I'm like if she would. To put that on again, I'd happily sit there and watch it again. It's very, uh, it's got a lot going on. Yeah, my household seems to be vacillating between Encanto and Wolf Walkers. I was very pleased when they got into Wolf Walkers, but we did become a bit like um, one of those Frozen households who watch Frozen every day, but it was Wolf Walkers, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, better. Um, certainly, like, I was pleased by their taste. But yes, I'm constantly in a situation where I'm kind of gaslighting them into, like, the things on the side of buses. That's not a real film, actually. Or that's, you know, not out. Or, you know, that's actually an, an exhibition in a different city. Um, so I don't know how long that ruse will last for. I don't know if either of you saw the Mia Hansen love film, One Fine Morning, that was in Cannes just now. Um, yeah. But the mum in that is always kind of giving her daughter a hard time, isn't she, about not wanting to go and see the latest Frozen with her. And she says, I'd rather, you know, like anything but that. Um, (laughs) I really kind of uh, related to that to that bit of the film. Well, you know, it is the things that we sacrifice for our children. (laughs) We could go on and on and maybe Minions 2 will be right for more discussion of that. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Last week, members of our goal plan got to choose their favourite illustrated cover from the last 10 issues to receive as a premium print. You can choose your print by signing up for a free trial and get tastes of the benefits we've got in store. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of our plans. Now, on to the movies. Set just after the events of the first film, this is the untold story of one 12-year-old's dream to become the world's greatest supervillain. So, Casper, it sounds like your children have exquisite tastes, but are you familiar with the giant Minions franchise, the Despicable Me franchise, of which this is, I believe, the fifth entry? (sighs) So, um, my children have terrible taste, by the way. They <laughs> have no idea. Um, I uh, This was my first Minions film. Uh, so, I, I was kind of sort of aware of Minions, just culturally, you know, seeing them on rucksacks. And um, I, I think I'd gathered that they were kind of bleepy, bloopy, little chaotic figures. Um but that's about that's about all I knew um, going into this film, uh, and um, and I'm quite happy with things being that way. And I think actually it was quite interesting to go in with kind of a fresh sort of look at what what the hell is going on here. Um, <laughs> and uh, gosh, I have to say, I found this film, and and everybody's going to laugh at me, obviously, because this is the the stock in trade of minions. But I found it so frantic. Um, and it, I found it to be an assault on my senses right from the start. I mean, the sound mix is turned up to 
109. Um, and, uh, and I think it took me a little while just to get used to the sheer buzz of activity that was, that was going on. Um, so yeah, my first, my first time visiting the, the world of minions and it was, it was quite a, yeah, quite a shock really, I think. Yeah, this film is not low on ideas. We have this tiny little kind of almost like Oompa Loompa, little yellow slave race in a made-up language talking all the time. Um, they don't seem to have much to do aside from serve the purposes of Gru, who wants to become a villain, but he's not really kind of... He more wants to be naughty than, like, particularly evil. And then like, the supervillains themselves are, uh, you know, terrible, terrible people that betray one another. And they're led by... Uh, Taraji P. Henson's Bell Bottom. Uh, David, what do you make of these, this big crew of supervillains? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess they they, they were kind of fine. I mean, uh, you know, like w- one of the sort of funny things about the film is that you you have that you have these uh, these six, the, this band of six supervillains, and some of them are voiced by quite kind of big name talent. I mean, you know, what like b- household names? I think you'd go so far as to say. And it's kind of funny how Bell Bottom get is is the kind of the, the front and center of it all. And you also have the kind of spurned member called um, Oh man, I've totally is it is his name White Knuckles? Uh, White White Knuckles or Wild? No, Wild Knuckles. Yeah, um, you have Alan Alder who's playing this guy called Wild Knuckles, who's this kind of elder statesman of the supervillain who is kicked out of the crew um, for, for 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 purpose for being too old um and um and and so the, those two are the kind of main the main cast members and then you, you yeah you don't really get um much much from the other the other members i'm not sure why there are six of them to be honest but i think it's very much like i mean my, it's a, i think it sort of speaks to something wider about the film where um i mean the first minions film is kind of which which i've watched with my daughter like five times i think um so i was i was kind of ready for the the continuity element of this one um so the first minions film is 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 almost like is is a proper kind of origin story where it takes it takes you back to like the birth of time and the the, the how minions kind of existed through the 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 ages of of, of existence and um and ended up being minion like the minions of various kind of weird supervillains across the ages and then this one kind of like this one's barely a minions movie. I mean, like they're not in it that much. Um, the, the the first film is purely focused on the minions. There is no Gru. Um, you know, the Despicable Me films are the Gru films. This is this is supposed to be the minions films, and like it's actually, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of come up with percentages here, but like it feels like a fifty fifty Gru minions movie. I mean, like Gru is the main character here. It's not the it's not the minions. It's not. Uh, um, you know the the the, the three uh, the th- the three main minions that we kind of follow in the first film. Um, so yeah, it was kind of di- on that front. It was kind of disappointing, and you know, really really kind of um, suggested that even even after one, you know, the second spin off, they're massively kind of running out of ideas of actually what to do with these minions. I mean the. The story itself is 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 a kind of faint wisp of 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 kind of um will this do plotting kind of get get getting from getting from the, the, the you know the point a to point b 
ha- you know and and teeing things up for a fight and it's it's a very very disjointed film as well very episodic and you're you're kind of moving between characters and you kind of you're you're you're, you're moving this way in the plot and then suddenly you flash back and seeing what another person's doing and you just at the kind of crux of the moment where you think oh something interesting and dramatic is going to happen but then it's like oh no let's watch this character make make you make the plot make sense so yeah it's kind of but like just just a lot of it just seems very unnecessary in fact the film in in its in its entirety seems quite unnecessary um i I know i know i know that's i know that's you know i i I know that dissing minions 2 is not like is not is, is uncool it's not it's not a cool thing to do i mean it's it's a it's very obvious move but you know it's 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 you know i i I, please tell me that 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 you guys found didn't find much nourishment in this movie as well as i as myself um there was a kung fu um training montage that i did find pretty funny i must say um beyond that it's just so MacGuffin of MacGuffin-y like just trying to get to the end and so I found myself sitting there being like am I just kind of an old um miserable person that is you know this film is not for me this is for the kind of three-year-old and five-year-old that I was sat next to watching this and they are for the most part enjoying it just kind of seeing their old little yellow friends again um and, you know, children do love kind of familiarity when it comes to these things, just seeing this, which is why they can watch films 30 times in a row and just be charmed by Tortoro over and over again. But it did feel just a bit of a cynical cash grab. I mean, now that you've seen it, Casper, do you think you're going to be keeping up with the Minions franchise? No, not at all. And I didn't really like it. But I, I, I found a few things to like. Um... And I think I can I can reel them off because it's a it's about two or three, so it shouldn't take too long. Um, I enjoyed the shout out to Linda Ronstadt in the record shop, which I was really not expecting <laughs> in a film geared at children aged you know two to six or whatever. So I really appreciated that. It was a big surprise. I thought the two credit sequences were really fabulous um, at the start, a kind of James Bondy credit sequence and at the end a kind of um line pencil animation um and that really made me think of um le petit nicolas the the uh, books by ah the asterix guy um uh rene gossini i think um and and uh he, uh, he and this and this and his illustrator did these lovely little books about about children at school, and suddenly I realized where Gru came from. I think he he's inspired by these little uh, Le Petit Nicolas figures. So I found that really touching because I think the animator is French, or the the animation um, outfit that that is uh, uh... yeah Illumination Studios. I think they're based in Paris. Right. Yeah. So I think that I think there was a direct influence there in the character of Grun. I, I found that really touching. Um, and uh, what else? That might be it. Um, that, that, so you that... like the credit sequences and a reference to Linda Ronstadt. That's uh, that's the that's the faintest praise I've ever heard on a film. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, really, really, that was it. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was quite intrigued by the film's depiction of 
of kind of quote-unquote villainy, because, you know, we're, we're looking at these villains who are all trying to out-villain each other, but, but, but really there's nothing actually bad ever happening in this film, and Gru is not really a villain, he's a child, and Wild Knuckles is kind of I mean, we, we don't know really what he does. He's sort of, he, he steals a little bit. But he's stealing from something called the Bank of Evil. So those are already <laughs> evil people that he's stealing from. So he's ripping off some criminals himself. And I, I found that quite interesting because my kids live in this, you know, very morally pure world where I'm sh- where everybody is always shielding them from bad. And um, I, I was quite intrigued that this film kind of operates supposedly in a world of of evil and badness but there's actually no there's no cruelty there's no you know uh, moral ambiguity really at any point um and it's quite yeah it's fascinating that it's set within that kind of prison but doesn't do it well spoiler alerts for the first despicable me the plot of that one is that there's kind of a terrible supervillain grew and then three little girls that he adopts come and kind of soften him ha- his heart and make him see the error of his ways. But it does mean when we're in prequel zone, we have to be heading towards him being a supervillain. So you kind of can't have him, um, you know, uh, veer off that path, I suppose. Uh, yeah, which gets you trapped in kind of a strange, you know, conundrum morally, I suppose. But I know that children do love to see people being naughty, at least. But I th- my daughter was particularly disturbed at some points where some of the other villains are like, you know, practically like hang, you know, someone's about to be like drawn and courted at one point, which I think was like a bit intense. Um, I think all the films this week we're covering, so this, Nitram and Elephant, are, are all about the ask you the question of of how we empathize with evildoers i think and 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 you know we you know minions is just part of that wider equation of you know looking at the humanity of of so-called villains and uh and how how we how we how we can find it in our heart to empathize them and look at see the kind of humanity of their decisions um but 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 on i think i think you know minions is a is a weird one for this you know it's a weird film I always think it's a weird film to be so popular um, in that it kind of is about populism. It's, you know, the minions themselves are a kind of, you know, they represent this idea of, of like unyielding blind fealty to, to an evildoer, which is kind of like the political touch point of the times, you know, of, of people who are just unwilling to, 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 to look, you know, see, see any reason. And they just have this, you know, unyielding fealty to to this person who is doing these awful things, or in this case, not so awful. But like, you know, the the minions are kind of, you know, uh, uh, do they represent the 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 you know far right populism? You know, <laughs> this 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 uh, this 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 epidemic of uh, of 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 unwillingness to question our leaders and and the, and the, and their morality. So. Um, I mean, you know, the fact that they're all like really stupid would suggest yes, you know. Uh, but um, sorry, you know, I'm go- I, 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 I realize that's a kind of like a thematic deep cut into the the minions universe. But um, you know, it's it, it's worth it's. I'm, I'm trying to dig for stuff here. The the film doesn't really give you much to go on, so I'm 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 just digging. 
Well, I mean, having just listened to the January 6th testimonies, I mean, that does in retrospect now feel like that could have been the final act with kind of Gru, you know, grabbing a, the, you know, a car to try and go to the Capitol with some minions in tow. So I think you might be onto something. Well, I, um, I was thinking of the, the January 6th testimonies and uh, uh, of, of Nitram. Uh, which we'll be moving on to. I don't know if it's next or not, so I might have got there too early. But um, uh, with Donald Trump literally grabbing the steering wheel of his mm. security car uh, and, and uh, Nick Trump famously uh, doing that in, in, in the film about this psychotic killer uh, was quite an extraordinary character touch, you know, to, to, for the two of them to share. Well, you know, this did seem like a very kind of haphazard week to put together, but actually it's all seemed to have timed up very, very nicely. Um, But let's get some scores on this before we move on. Um, David, do you want to go first in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Um, I say my anticipation was about three. I, I I did expect from having seen the entire Despicable Me corpus to at least have a new film that that hit on that level. I thought the idea of having it set in the 70s was was fun and, you know, you could op- open it up to some interesting stuff, but it just didn't really do anything with it. And um, I've, I've, even at, like, barely 90 minutes, it was quite a, a slog for me. Um, so, yeah, it's probably a, a, a two and a one uh, in, re- in, in enjoyment and in retrospect marginally better than you gave Sonic 2 so that's something um Kathy, what about you uh in anticipation I would say well completely neutral I had no n- no preconceptions going in at all so I've got to got to go 2.5 on that one can we do can we do decimals you can and um and then uh at the time uh I would say yeah about two maybe watching watching the film and then in retrospect um perhaps as davy says as a document of of uh, europe's inability to stem the tide of fascism um Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Perhaps a couple of points more. Give Give it a three in retrospect. 
Um, yeah, for me, probably a three coming in just because this voice cast looked absolutely phenomenal. And then maybe oh, somewhere between a two and a one watching it because I just kept waiting to hear Jean-Claude Van Damme's voice or, you know, Dolph Lundgren or Danny Trejo. And I don't think I got a peep. Uh, yeah, and like a two in retrospect, it just it feels like a product, not a film. But I don't think it's kind of pretending otherwise. Like this is a vehicle for the most part to sell merch, um, which I will not be purchasing, no matter how much my children ask. So if you've got thoughts on Minions, Rivals of Gru, or on any of the other films, you can tweet us at LWLies or email us at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next up, Nitram. <laughs> Nitram depicts the events leading up to the real-life 1996 Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania in an attempt to understand why and how the atrocity occurred. So David, um, um, this is something I imagine you saw recently. It was at Cannes last year and um, Caleb Landry-Jones won the Best Actor award for it. But were you highly anticipating Nitram? Um, I, I think I was maybe a little bit... My anticipation was a little bit cool. Um it was it was one of those films that um you know i i was kind of following can 20, 2021 vicariously through the internet and the and through and through Hannah my colleague who was there and it just felt like a film that like it was probably that the, the one film that did barely got any kind of you know like the coverage was very light and i think it played right at the end of the festival so it it just it just sort of slipped through the net a bit really and and when he won the best actor i was like what you know i i i'd not even the film hadn't even even really registered with me which is strange because it's by justin kurzel who i think is kind of someone who i want to like more than i do um he he i really liked his first film called snowtown of which this is very much a kind of return in terms of the style and subject matter that was a that was about kind of that was another sort of weird and quite sort of um grotesque portrait of and and sort of realist portrait of serial killers in in Australia and this this is another one of those as well um the films he kind of made in the interim i just haven't none of them i've really i've really liked he's 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 just never really hit that hit those highs again and I think with Nitram, he probably, although the film didn't land with me, you know, amazingly well, I think it's definitely like, this is this is one of his like better, definitely one of his better films in my, in my opinion. Um, and I think, I think possibly the reason why is because I, I, I've, I think, I think it's something that I'd, I've, I've had in my mind for a long time, but never really been able to articulate it or maybe never wanted to articulate it. But I think C- Caleb Landry Dr- Jones, um, who uh, is this kind of American actor who's he's like got he, he, he's got kind of a strange face. It's, it's like freckled and he's got very small kind of um, wide eyes and he and this kind of strawberry blonde hair and he's he's not your kind of you know he 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 kind of he's one of these 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 figures who tends you know if if he turns up in a film you're kind of like uh oh here we go you know it's going to be a, a you know a weird one he tends he tends to kind of take these sort of strange quite demanding roles and it's quite rare to see him i i mean he 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 often turns up in supporting roles as well so it's rare to see him in the in the sort of in the spotlight but 
here he he really kind of takes it and run runs with it as this as this um um you know it's the kind of like origin stories of a serial killer um of or, or of a kind of mass shooter um and his, his performance is really quite something and you know it, it at its best it's kind of, you, you kind of think that someone like a kind of Joaquin Phoenix could could be kind of operating at this level he has that kind of weird um looseness and intensity and i think he's he's i think oh, i can't remember what it what, what what the words were exactly but there was an interview with um John C Riley um where he and John C Riley was 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 it being interviewed and someone asked him about working phoenix and working with working phoenix and he said something like oh you know you just can't take your eyes off him you just want to you know he's just he's just sort of like rifling around and you just want to watch what he's doing you just want to watch what he's digging up and i, I and that, i mean that's a, a massive misquote slash paraphrase there but um the 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 I think there is the same idea Caleb, Caleb Landry Jones. You just want to watch what he's doing. You know, he's he's a real kind of magnetic presence. Even in these kind of moments, there's there's a lot of lots of moments in this film where it's just him. He's in this kind of like torpor or repose and thinking and contemplating and being, you know, generally being shunned by society, which is kind of what the film is is, is about. It's like the psycho- psychological evolution of a person who that will then go on to commit a, a mass shooting and he, and he 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 does it really well without ever kind of necessarily pushing things too far and, and make making the film feel too kind of obviously suggestive but um yeah that that, that was my focus on Caleb Landry Jones I I will I will I will, I will, I will sit down now and, and because there's probably like a ton more to discuss in this film yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated film in terms of, I mean, I suppose the ethics of depicting um, real life events for one thing. Casper, um, so we don't, one of the things that they do is they never say the name of the of, of the person um, who committed these atrocities and they don't actually show what it is exactly that he did. Do you think that that still led to kind of a compelling story or did you feel that it was left unfinished without actually seeing the consequences of what he did? Uh, no, I was really relieved that the film doesn't actually um, take the take the decision to to show those events, and um, and I think actually I I was really um, gearing up towards seeing that shooting, and I really felt that the way the film had been operating until its ending had been leading us up to that, because it's a really disquieting document and a, a psychological study of somebody. And I felt certain that it had to erupt into something because it had been so kind of tamped down in the way that it depicted this character. Um, and um, and that ending where we see uh, uh, the character uh, who's modelled on Martin Bryant, the, the killer, uh, from, I think, is it Port Arthur? The, the Port Arthur killings. Um, and we see him uh, go off, and the, the the film. I don't think this is really a spoiler. Uh, ends before we see uh, uh, anything like an atrocity, uh, and and that was a a real point of relief for me. And I think with everything that the film did and the way that it conjured this character, who we can see clearly has something something wrong with him and something deeply troubling about his 
character uh, uh, with everything it did there didn't need that release of of uh, ultraviolence and um and it it wouldn't really have been uh you know an opposite way to to end the film and i think um there it it would have been irresponsible i think as well in 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 moral terms to to depict that um i i, I mean i certainly think that i don't know what, what your thoughts are both of you but um f- for me that i i do find that the depiction of uh real events is kind of uh, indefensible when it's done in in that mode. Um, it's it's interesting because I think we could probably have this discussion when we go on to Elephant, which um, which obviously do, do, you know you are seeing stuff and it, and it it does it, that film does toy a little bit more with the kind of you know the the idea of that you are going to see you know it takes you to this point and then just pulls you back a couple of times. But um, I think with this film. Um, what what's interesting for me is like so you, you, we're focusing on this character Nitram's life, and um, it's it's you know it's it's fairly awful. He has a very dysfunctional relationship with his parents. Uh, um, he he has this kind of needy father, and um, his mother, amazing Judy Davis, um, is this kind of um, a, another intense figure in his life who is kind of you know who who has this kind of unmasked scorn for him in in many ways and 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 is is just perplexed and angered by these kind of weird life choices he's he, he's he's making and um uh you know the one of the first scenes in the film is him just he, he's kind of introduced stood outside lighting fireworks in the in the neighborhood like light lighting like firecrackers and, and just annoying everyone and he just keeps going and people are yelling at him and he just keeps going. And, he, you know, it's that kind of, you know, I guess you have a lot of these sort of portentous moments of like, you know, how 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 will this how will this develop? Um, and yeah, the, 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 but there's a lot in the film as well that's kind of I think it's trying to give a bit more of a balanced portrait of his life um, rather than trying to fixate on like, oh, here are the kind of 10 things that when you know when we bring them together this will give you your reason for why he committed this atrocity um it actually gives a bit of time to this like strange relationship he has with this um um millionaireess dowager played by Essie Davis who is herself quite a sort of strange character and he kind of falls in with her and she kind of lavishes him with money and they end up having this quite kind of weird relation relationship and he ends up um you know essentially falling in love with her as a you know as a kind of maternal figure and as 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 a kind of romantic love interest and um you know that 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 kind of that story takes up pretty much most of the first half of the film and it's a, it's a really interesting kind of you know you know it it does more than you know if you were to read about this on wikipedia you don't you, you wouldn't get the kind of the detail and texture that 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 justin kurzel gives you and this the sort of and and how this and you know how this affects nitram and his his decision making um but um but yeah it's i it 
it's in it's interesting in that way i i mean on on to, in terms of the kind of morality of showing that the violence i mean um you know for me it's it's far more chilling and disturbing to see the fact that he ate this little kind of fruit cocktail cup and took his time his his time about it while sort of sat in a cafeteria with a with a bag full of um automatic weapons um seemingly you know off 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 you know we you, 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 that that's the moment that's far more chilling of like trying to work out what's going through his head in that kind of moment you know we we've we've also we've seen him kill a few people already so we kind of know what well, we haven't seen it but we know we know he has but um it's that kind of like you know imposing the sort of uh your ideas on this kind of strange blank canvas character yeah um i mean the film does have kind of a political stance i would say there's some very some of the most chilling scenes are just how easy it is for nitram to kind of acquire all of these you know these semi-automatic weapons that just means he can kind of mow down people in the you know, a few minutes. Um, like, Casper, do you think that those kind of political elements sat well within the narrative of the film? Uh, yes, I suppose so. Um, there's there's a kind of a, 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 an attempt to draw out some some dark humour, I think, in that scene where he uh, goes to purchase his his guns, um, which sort of didn't work for me, I think. Um, and overall, it's a it's a fairly humorless film, uh, I think. Not that not that it, the subject necessarily lends itself to <laughs> you know Falstaffian humor. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that was that was quite nicely quite nicely done. And I think um, the film has a fairly intelligent perspective on on the upbringing of this character and. Um, for instance, the fact that the film's title, Nitram, is, you know, adopts the kind of bullying perspective uh, that that saw this guy as an outsider. You know, Nitram is his is his name backwards and and is what he was called at school uh, in in teasing tones. And indeed, one of the best scenes in the film is where uh, a, a character from, you know, a, another young young man from this uh, from this young man's background, uh, uh, whispers Nitram at him in a car, played uh, brilliantly by Sean Keenan in a handful of scenes. Um, so we're we're kind of referring to him as this outsider, and I think the film is quite clever in kind of um, placing us as kind of the the othering figures towards uh, towards this Martin Bryant figure. Uh, so I think, yeah, there are a few interesting uh, uh, aspects to this film in terms of its perspective and the way it kind of looks at the events that it depicts. Um, but but I think I agree with, with Davey that somehow something just doesn't quite set a light in this film. It's it's really weird to try and work out what it is because there's, there's not very much missing here. Uh, um, Justin Kessel is a really good fine director and the film is a festival of acting I mean from you know both Davis's Essie and Judy and Caleb Blanchard Jones you know you couldn't hope for more and yet I think there's something maybe just a little bit try hard uh, in the directing of this film something 
just a little bit prettifying maybe at times. Uh, I feel like almost Justin Kersel goes for shots or, or I don't know, performances or something that could be deemed cool somehow. <laughs> maybe it's that. It's just there's a little bit too much polish on this. It's a little bit too... Yassified. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that. But it, it just doesn't, I, I think it was just lacking a little bit in soul for me. Um, whereas it kind you know, it's an accomplished film, uh, but, it, but it just didn't quite, quite hit home in some respects. And I find that quite mysterious to think about what it was that was, that was lacking. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's, it was like, it, 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 it's a kind of like, at the end, I was like, "Well, that's that's all very well, but what what have we really learned today, children? You know, like, um, I you know, I think what uh, if going back to your point, Leila, about the the political aspect of the film and the, and it, it kind of pivoting towards the end to towards uh, to becoming a kind of anti gun violence screed, including lots of um, intertitles at the end of the film talking about you know." banning of guns and 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 uh regulations on gun sales in australia and 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 also but also saying it hasn't really had that much of an effect there by doing the uh, but um uh it, it it seemed like a kind of yeah like it, it, that that element to me felt like that the film was sort of grasping for a for a point almost um you know i i think i think a general thing about these these films that like you know true crime films i mean this is i think this, this might classify as a kind of true crime film in that you kind of you could imagine reading the kind of non-fiction book and it feeling quite similar in in kind of in the arc dramatic arc and scope it's like a kind of yeah you, you i'm not sure i'm not sure what it's what it's doing or saying and it, what its function is really like it's you know i i, I think that you could you know, if 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 you didn't, you know, you, if you said, if I said to you, what, why do you think this guy shot shot all these people randomly, and the list that you probably would give as a com- complete speculative list would, pro- you, you know, is right. You know, he was bullied. He had, you know, his had a bad upbringing. He, you know, he had a had a romantic. You know, he, he had tra- like his life was strewn with tragedy. He was an outsider, and it's like, you know, that's what the film is essentially telling you, and. uh I kind of wish that it had uh, it had another string to its bow, really. Um, one of the strings to its bow that I found quite interesting, um, doing as much kind of morbid research around these things as I do, is that direct connection that it had to Dumblain, which is just a single scene where you kind of get Nitram, who's basically suicidal, and then they kind of present it this moment that he sees the news about Dumblain, and there's a there's just this hint that kind of like oh. There's a spark of an idea here and I'm going to, you know, do something equally horrific. Um, I don't think it overlabors that point, which is probably wise because I don't think there's one reason that these things happen. But I think what then made me feel a bit kind of queasy about the whole thing is you know, this man is still alive and these things often happen in dialogue with one another. Like, you know, Columbine was a tribute to Oklahoma, which was a tribute to Waco. And if this is a tribute to Dumblain in some way that like when we tell these true time true crime stories we are sort of giving them the notoriety and the inspiration for others to a certain degree and I don't want to limit what art could talk about 
but if there is an element that these people do these things because they want attention and they want to inspire do others to do the same, I think we have to be very careful with stuff like this. And I felt slightly uneasy looking at that image of Caleb Landry Jones picking up his award in Cannes, wearing an eccentric suit, very much like Nitram did, still with the long hair and stuff, and just thought, well, you know, is this thoughtfully done enough uh because you know these mass shooting things they are kind of almost like a, a virus of ideas you know somebody did that in columbine one time and then you know now they happen weekly in america and you know it's a, it's a dark time that we are currently in but um we should probably get on to some scores uh before we move on to another mass shooting film <laughs> Hooray. Um, uh, David, you want to go first in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Sure. I think probably um, I'm going to say threes across the board. Um, I, I say my enjoyment might, is probably kind of tipping a little bit towards a four because I did find the company of um, uh, the excellent actician Caleb Landry-Jones to be quite pleasant. Um, you know, he, he I feel like he's he's the he's the the big draw for this film and i think that he's the reason why the elements that do work work um uh and yeah i i i i hope that he is cast in a you know i i i hope that he actually gets a bit more kind of not mainstream casting but i think people kind of use his talents to do these more kind of you know the sort of Joaquin phoenix type high wire roles i mean it Oh, he, you know, having he would have been a good Joker. I mean, I know that's, I know that's, I know that's um, sullying the discourse a bit, but you know, imagine. Maybe he'll be the third man to win Best Actor for yeah. <laughs> Oscar for a Joker. The clown that fights Gasp. Batman. Gasper, what about you? Uh, anticipation, I would say, for something like that, uh, just off the back of uh, the. Best actor prize in Cannes, I think, and um, and I, I've I'd enjoyed the uh, the Kelly Gang film that Justin Kersel had done before. I thought there was some some interesting and really beautiful filmmaking there at times, um, and I was pleased to uh, be seeing Essie Davis again. I always enjoy her presence, um, and then uh, I would say I would say four as well for for at the time, and then. Um, and then I think it's a film that diminishes a little bit the more you think about it and the more you take from it, um, as a because it's quite a sensory experience rather than an intellectual uh, one. So yeah, I'd say something like three in retrospect. Yeah, I'm not far off you both. Probably um, a four in anticipation. I do, I do enjoy Caleb Landry Jones. I liked him very much since. Um, since he did that Brandon Cronenberg film, where which was, you know, fantastically gross. Antiviral. Um, yes, yes, I very much enjoyed him in Antiviral. Um, and and he's yeah, it is it is that actor that kind of like shits like going to get wild as soon as he shows up. Like the scene where he shows up and Get Out, and you know that like something <laughs> is amiss. <laughs> um, yeah, probably four in enjoyment, just because I mean both him and 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 both the. Judy Davis and Essie Davis are absolutely wonderful. Particularly, um, I found Judy Davis as the mother, you know, absolutely heartbreaking. That sort of parents' worst nightmare scenario. Um, 
and then maybe a two in retrospect just because I, 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 I do feel uncomfortable with the sort of ethics of it all and the image of kind of this man Martin Bryant sitting in his cell hearing that somebody's just one best actor for him I kind of can't get that image um, out of my mind and I think it also doesn't help that I watched Elephant straight afterwards which I think is a superior film Gus Van Zandt's 2003 film takes place in the fictional Watt High School in Oregon and chronicles the events surrounding a school shooting, based in part on the 1999 Columbine Massacre. So, Casper, was this your first time coming to Elephant for the podcast, or had you seen it before? I saw it before, um, whenever it came out, was it 2003? Uh, so I went to see it in the cinema then and hadn't seen it uh, again since then, although... Um, Several several scenes of the film because of uh, of the way they immediately became quite iconic. I think for a certain uh, type of indie filmmaking uh, have popped up in various things, and and one does see uh, certain scenes from the film here and there. Um, but I hadn't seen the whole thing again uh, for nigh on twenty years, so I was yeah really delighted to revisit it because I'd I'd loved it at the time. Um, and, uh, and I think the film just, yeah, gets better on a rewatch. It's so beautiful. And, um, I was just startled by how deeply poetic it is as a film. There's just such a, you know, when I was talking about, about soul earlier on, when talking about Nitram, this is a film that has such grace to it. Um, and it's a grace that is built up by uh, a, you know a gorgeous edit by Van Sant, but 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 the rhythm of his filmmaking, these steadicam shots filming characters in their in corridors, and um, and the way he captures these individuals in in their environment uh, is is truly beautiful, I think, um, and and the way that this film kind of uh, doesn't try to provide answers. I mean, it, it sort of it 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 gives a few kind of clues in in its worst moments that you can kind of skip over, and that really, you know, death of the author and all that. I'm going to Roland Bart these these scenes out of out of my impressions of the movie. You know, these scenes where the where the um, perpetrators of the massacre watch video games and uh, you, you know are bullied and these might be tax tax for understanding why they why they did it I'm not interested in any of that and for me the film doesn't show those scenes they're not in the film uh, because the film is is everything else that it does it's all about uh, that one day and about truly understanding and, and showing these gorgeous teenagers uh, in their interactions. I, I think I thought it was just stunning. Yeah, I mean, for something that is so kind of understated in so many ways, it really captures something really quite seismic happening and, you know, that you know, extends far beyond the walls of this high school. Uh, David, I'm wondering, it's been almost 20 years and, you know, Columbine being such a kind of extraordinary event like it was, now it's so regular. Do you think the film has aged well, given that context? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, 
I think the way it's the way it's kind of de- um, the way the action's depicted, the way it's structured, um, gives it gives it like this kind of um, allegorical vibe that that kind of you know makes you feel like it could apply to anything. I mean, I think it's sort of like dealing with this idea of you know, unlike Nitram, which is kind of going into the psychological nitty gritty of like how, you know how 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 does how is a killer born and you know how, how how does he get to that moment i mean this does that in a kind of strange shorthand way um but but yeah this is more focused on like it, it's it's a more sort of bittersweet film looking at the looking at the kind of lives of these of these characters these these uh high schoolers and you, you're getting these like very swift but impactful impressions of their you know who they are what they're doing and and i think um you know there, there's there's stuff like the 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 cut the jock who who kind of walks off of the the field with this kind of bead like full bead necklace and this lifeguard uh hoodie and 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 those those two sort of choices those co- two costume choices just speak so much about the character and the life even though you, he doesn't talk about himself he doesn't really have any interactions with any characters but you kind of you, you you get this very full vivid impression of who he is with 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 barely any kind of detail you have this ca- character also who's the kind of slightly nerdy f- photography student who has you know his, his he's got this bracelet which is like a fork bent around his 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 arm and mm. you know all this kind of all these kind of little details just bring so much to 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 the kind of texture and uh, of the film um it's interesting because the film is is inspired by the, the 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 name elephant is actually inspired by um an alan clark film uh that was that was from the 80s it's it's amazing and it's it, it's di- it's kind of different but the same but the alan clark film is basically uh a kind of it's about 30 minutes and it's a montage filmed with very similar kind of um high slightly high ups very silkily smooth uh steadicam shots of a uh, of a person a person will get out of a car with a gun and you'll follow them to another person and he'll shoot that person and then just walk off again and you'll you just see repetitions of this it, 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 the, an elephant is about kind of tit for tat violence in in Ireland in the 80s and um this kind of takes the the style adopts the same style as the uh, as the alan clark film and, and and imposes it onto this this sort of school shooting setup and it's really fascinating um yeah i mean harris savides the the late great cinematographer just i mean you just get everything that's kind of great about his style it's like this kind of ethereal version of 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 the of the high school massacre another person it reminds me of it's like it's like american michael haneker um yeah, Michael Haneke, someone who is certainly in the kind of earlier part of his career, is obsessed with this idea of like, you know, looking at looking at the kind of, you know, the, the sort of roots of evil. How 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 people are kind of in, uh, are suddenly kind of inspired to do awful things. And you know, you have films like Benny's Video and even things like The White Ribbon, which are kind of like you know look looking at communities and people and how they how they do how, how how they kind of enter into this this darkness and gus van sand entered into a kind of like strange 
Hanukkah phase in the early 2000s where he did these, I think like four films. It was this and Last Days and Jerry and Paranoid Park, which are all kind of like Hanukkarian in, in, a, in a sort of strange way. And it's, it's, it's a, just, you know, broadening out the lens even further just on, on Gus Van Sant, I think. It's it's really one of the one of the things to watch this film w- w- about rewatching this film, and I had a similar experience in that I saw it when it came out and I hadn't seen it for twenty years. It's just like wow, I mean, Gus Van Sant is a, is an incredible filmmaker, and why isn't he making more incredible films? I mean, you know, he, he he had this kind of moment that that just sort of you know he he made you know there were some really good early films as well. I think it's the films that he writes that are really good. I mean he wrote this one, he wrote Drugstore Cowboy, he wrote Paranoid Park and Last Days. So like and then it, he kind of moved out and to become this weird director for hire and the 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 quality just you know to say dipped is an understatement but like you know he's not he's 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 no longer the kind of big indie name that he once was and it's a shame that you know someone who made this film is not you know, we're not seeing that director anymore. Um, but yeah, um, it's a it's a weird one. I mean, I'm, I'm like, uh, on one hand, I'm like, oh right, we're we're what we're sort of getting to know these characters before the inevitability of their death. Like, is that cool? Is that is that fun? I don't know. I'm uh, it's really it's really upsetting and disturbing, and uh, I'm not sure if like that trans. I I, I think like. I think it's like an awful masterpiece. Like it's like a f- unwatchable and ho- just horrible to watch in every aspect, but it's amazing on its own terms. Well, yeah, I mean, it certainly is because I think one of the things as much as I understand about Columbine is that, you know, you'd had people that had like come on to a school in the, in the past and kind of, you know, I'm out to get this person and I'll come and get them. But this sort of like random spraying of like that sort of massacre, which then, you know, was live on TV, the whole thing like that changed everything. And I think one of the things that is most heartbreaking about this film watching the reactions is that they have no idea what the fuck is going on like when these sounds happen and like where this set today there would at least be a sense about like oh god that's what this is and people would be reacting in you know in some sense of like oh good lord it's a mass shooting but it that's what maybe really broke my heart the most watching it is it's, it is like a loss of innocence on a massive scale that like no more will people hear gunshots and be like, hey, what's going on when they're in an American high school? I mean, Casper, would you also agree that uh, this is like Van Zandt's finest? I was looking at his filmography the other day and and also thinking, what the hell happened? (laughs) Uh, His finest? uh, I think it's, it's, it's close to the kind of apogee of his filmmaking, though as an indie filmmaker. And I was really struck, uh, to go back to that point, Leda, by, by exactly what you were saying about, about the loss of innocence. I mean, this is a film that is completely innocent, I think, and, and, and so mild in everything that it depicts in the interactions between, between uh, its characters. And as you were saying, if it were filmed now, these, these people would know when they heard gunshot, they would know, well, what I need to do now is go to the library or whatever. You know, there's an action plan in place that's what's so horrifying um but then at the same time there was that recent the re- recent shooting in texas and and i think that but they were very young children yeah i guess I mean, it's a little bit different but with but there's, st- there's still there was still a sense that nobody like of chaos you know um so you know i 
there's still a but sense it's the calmness it. that got yeah. me the kind of like oh i'll just walk down the corridor and mm. see what's going on rather than flee because of course it's a mass shooter. it's dr- it's dreamlike there there are some scenes for instance the one that's well there are so many beautiful scenes but the one that shows the mastery the technical mastery of van sant and harris savides the the most and which is sort of almost like showing off it's so wonderful is when um eli the photographer uh bumps into his friend John in the corridor and takes a photo of him. And it's so sweet. Like he slaps his bum on the count of three <laughs> and it's sort of inexplicable and so lovely and, and innocent, I think. And we see that film from three different perspectives. Sorry, that scene from three different perspectives over the course of the film from Eli's and John's and, and then later the character Michelle as she runs past. Um, and I think that sort of, seeing it in in those three different ways kind of crystallizes the moment's innocence almost it we, we revisit it and and what we thought was something so kind of uh, uh what's the word evanescent actually comes back to us again later on and when we see it again we find it even more delightful and and sort of silly and and it's it's so much more striking by dint of being, you know, of something that should never have been seen again. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the film really documents innocence and 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 uh, and youth so well by being so dreamlike in in many ways. Uh, there's a scene where the same character John goes into a, a large room to cry on his own. Uh, which is just, I've got a lump in my throat, because the film seizes him so well in that room, and it shows his relation to the school so well, to his, to the geography of his environment, um, and this place where, where there's nobody else, and where a girl comes in and gives him a kiss on the cheek. But to see him uh, alone in that, in that room, filmed so well, lit so gorgeously, is to see a young person completely um, on their own and, and filmed absolutely truthfully. And uh, the, film, the film does that over and over again, I think, with its characters, uh, uh, really, really showing just a, a sheer poetry. Oh, well, that is a beautiful note to end on. Thank you, Casper. Um, if you've got thoughts on these films, email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, Taika Waititi dials up the 90s nostalgia in Thor Love and Thunder. A robot friend proves just the trick in Brian and Charles. And for Film Club, it's full robot apocalypse in Silent Running. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were David Jenkins and Casper Salmon. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.